Welcome to The Scarlet Project. This is a show about the slimy underbelly of American colleges and universities, the predators that thrive there, and the administrations that tolerate them. I'm your host, Tom, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Ryan. Hello, everybody. Welcome back again. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we will be discussing another case out of Central Connecticut State University. I reported this one earlier this year, and it's a little different than the cases we've looked at previously, as the survivor in this case was not a student of CCSU, but the perpetrator was. He was a student athlete on the school's baseball team. Another unique aspect of this case is that the incident that led to the investigation did not happen on campus, which raises the question of whether or not the university had any responsibility to act. But as you'll see later in the episode, It's clear by the university's own policies that they did, but of course failed to. We teased in last week's episode that we would find out whether or not CCSU President Zoma Toro meant anything she said in the wake of the theater department scandal, and if any of the changes she made resulted in a more just process for survivors. This case, which took place less than two years after the theater department scandal broke, shows that the answer is a resounding fuck you. Let's start the show. show is Peyton Stevens. He was a CCSU baseball player. And I mean, I don't really know what else to say about him besides that. But the reason why we decided to do this episode wasn't just to dunk on Peyton for being an abuser, allegedly, was also to because this case is emblematic of a rot in the system. Uh, and um, that, like we alluded to, um, in the wake of the theater department scandal, really nothing changed. So um, for a lot of what we'll be talking about today, I will be quoting uh, Tom's piece that he had written previously, just because it is really the only comprehensive history we've got of this. Um, And so I guess we'll start off with just how Molly and Peyton's relationship began and when it divulged into the terrible things that it led to just real quick for the listener uh molly is a pseudonym so that's not her real name for uh you know Peyton is his real name you can look him up right yeah he sucks so Peyton and molly began dating towards the end of 2018 and as tom had mentioned before molly attended uhart not ccsu it's about a 15 minute drive from central in new britain um But after their relationship started, it didn't take long for it to become unhealthy and abusive, according to Molly. Now, according to an official statement by Molly, Stevens would be physically violent with her, punching or hitting her, and throwing her up against walls. Uh, But, of course, the physical violence was not the only sort of abuse that Molly had suffered at the hands of Stevens, according to her. 
Molly also said that he would abuse her emotionally and damage her property. According to Molly, Stephen smashed her phone, cracked her television screen, shattered the windshield of her car, and punched a hole in her apartment bathroom door, which he allegedly admitted to and helped Molly's father fix. Now, Molly kept a lot of this abuse secret for a long time. Um, she confided in a few close friends and her brother, Jacob. But other than that, this wasn't known while it was happening. And so even though she did keep it a secret for a long time, with the things that she's alleging Peyton did, it became harder and harder to hide. Uh, and Molly said, according to her extreme anxiety and the outward appearance of her injuries, you know, bruises and stuff, she couldn't go to class. She was just too anxious about everything and totally understandably so. Now, in uh, January 2020, she requested a medical withdrawal from Uhart, citing a very unhealthy, abusive, intimate relationship as a factor in her desire to leave the university. This request was granted just two months later in March of 2020. And so this is not alleged. This is a fact that she did submit this withdrawal, and it was granted, and it was for these reasons. This, of course, does not, you know, verify a fact, any of the claims, but it is worth mentioning that this is, you know, fact. After the couple had broken up, though, Stephen's abuse didn't end there. Um, he entered her apartment on multiple occasions, according to Molly, by using her password on the security keypad in the lobby. Apartment building, just to be clear, not her actual apartment. Ah, yes. It was an apartment building with, with uh, a secure apartment building, so meaning that to get into the actual building, you would need a pass code to get in. Right, which apparently he was aware of and allegedly used it to get in and just start causing havoc. You know, I mean, he screaming in the hallway, banging on her door. And this is also going on at night. You know, <laughs> like this is terrifying. It, it is. And, you know, it's not just going in there and terrorizing them and, and yelling allegedly, but he also sat in his car across the street from her apartment and watched for her to exit the building, allegedly. So let's get into the major assault in question that we'll be talking about. Now, this is after their relationship had ended, obviously. Uh, this comes in May of 2020, so actually five months after uh, she had submitted that withdrawal from Uhart. So for a couple months during this time frame that Molly had entered her withdrawal and it had been accepted, she had started receiving harassing messages uh, on Instagram. They were completely erratic and, and rude. Now, on this night in May in particular, the person messaged her telling that she had a rela sexual relationship with Stevens while the two of them were dating. Um, wanting to sort out the issue, Molly met Stevens in the parking lot of her apartment building. So as we had mentioned earlier, a place familiar to Stevens, of course, Molly's apartment building. Uh, so the two met in the parking lot of this building to kind of clear things up. But of course, given their history, the conversation did not go well. And uh, it actually led to those same violent trends that Molly says led to their breakup. Now, I won't get into specifics here, but after two hours, the police did arrive and took photos of Molly's injuries and collected her statement detailing the assault. And in the early mornings, hours of the next day, Stevens was arrested on charges of third degree domestic violence and second degree breach of peace. Let's get into specifics with the uh, assault, alleged assault. So Molly alleges that 
Stevens pulled her into his car, smashed her face against his steering wheel and dashboard, slammed the car door on her ribs several times, and kicked her out and drove away. Now, I saw the pictures, and I mean, not that it should really matter, but Molly, a petite girl, small, slight build. Peyton Stevens listed at 6'2", what was it? Two what? Two something. 200 pounds. So a big dude. Muscular, obviously, he was an athlete. I mean, just absolutely manhandling this poor girl. And allegedly. (laughs) And uh, yeah, it was it was not. It was not pretty. No, and and sadly, it's not really getting much of a happy ending either. Uh, because following Stephen's arrest, Molly's family actually did report this to uh, Central Connecticut's Office of Student Rights. Sorry, Central Connecticut State University's Office of Student Rights and Responsibilities, which we'll refer to going forward as the OSRR. Um, so Stevens was, as we mentioned, a baseball player but was also on scholarship for the university, which means that these you know, actions, the arrest and anything else left him open to discipline by the university. Sadly, though, we didn't see much of that at all. Molly and her mother, Diana, were apparently shut out of the hearing and disciplinary proceedings against Stevens by CCSU officials. In its handling of the case, CCSU violated a number of its own policies regarding its student code of conduct and right of victims of intimate partner violence. And uh, so because Stevens was an athlete, and not only an athlete, but he was actually on scholarship uh, for CCSU. Just to be clear, athletic scholarship, because I don't think this dude's that smart. (laughs) That is fact. That it was an athlete. Not allegedly. (laughs) So two days after... um, Stephen's arrest, which is three days after the night of the assault. Um, Molly's mother spoke to uh, CCSU's OSRR director, Stephanie Reese, on the phone, basically to report the assault. And uh, the next day after Diana spoke to um, Stephanie, she followed up with her via email and described the injuries Molly sustained, outlined the CCSU policies Stevens may have violated, and asked if Reese needed anything more for her in order to get the investigation going. She also asked if she should alert the athletics department to the matter. Reese's response, and this is in its entirety, (laughs) we're not leaving anything out, is thank you for your information and I will be looking into the situation. Quote. Not exactly comforting. So, uh, (laughs) because Reese didn't indicate whether she would alert the athletics department, and really, uh, in my own opinion, indicated anything with that email. Molly's brother, Jacob, um, on behalf of his sister, made sure that the athletic department was made aware. Again, this is not alleged as we have the records of this. On May 22nd, Jacob sent an email to 13 CCSU staff. Among the recipients were CCSU's president, Zolma Toro, its athletic director, Tom Pinsence, Senior Associate Athletic Director Michael Ansara, Head Baseball Coach Charlie Hickey, and Assistant Baseball Coaches Pat Hall and Rob Bono. 
Now, in the email that we have, Jacobs described Stevens' assault on his sister and the charges brought against him. He also made it clear that it wasn't the first time Stevens had been violent with Molly. And here's a direct quote from the email. I wish I was able to say that this is a one-time occurrence. However, over the past six months or so, it hasn't been uncommon for mutual friends to speak of times when he laid hands on my sister, Jacob wrote. Often leaving my sister with a bruised nose, a black eye, or cuts throughout her body. Seeing these injuries firsthand infuriated and disgusted me, but each time that these stories were brought to my attention, I was asked to keep them confidential as my sister feared for her safety. Luckily, the concussion, bruises, and scrapes Mr. Stevens left her with after the incident on May 16th will heal, but the damage he caused goes much deeper than the surface. Um, and Jacobs concludes this email with an emotional appeal. I quote, I am no lawyer or policeman. However, I am an older brother who is fed up with the senseless violence that has caused my family so much pain in the past months from this individual. I hope that the recipients of this letter will question Mr. Stevens and conduct an investigation of their own. Tom, do you, what do you think the response was to this? Well, I just want to start by saying it's a very powerful letter, right? This is a loved one uh, advocating on behalf of their sibling. And I don't know how you can read that and essentially and do what the people who received this email did, which was essentially wipe their ass with it because nothing happened. They didn't do fucking shit. Not even didn't do shit. Didn't do anything at all. Like not even a response. And <laughs> like, really, you mean to tell me that it just happened to just, Go through, you know, maybe it ended up in the junk mail for all 13 of those recipients, you know? Yeah, fuck that. Like, and I will just, as an aside, these people are so shameless with the with their conduct because then when it becomes time to answer for it, they just forward you to the PR person. Because I mail, I emailed every single one of these people to try to get a comment. And they're all just like, yeah, I can't comment without, you know, they're, they're basically fucking little babies who need a who have a little babysitter in their PR person and act like, oh, I can't say anything and just forward it to them and, you know, think like, well, I handled that. You know, it's fucking pathetic. Like. I, I hate these people. I have a great deal of contempt for like, if you do this, then when you're confronted with it, like you better fucking be prepared to answer for it instead of just, Oh, I'm forwarding you to my fucking PR person. Don't have to deal with this job. Well done. Like go fuck yourself. And the fact of the matter, too, is here, CCSU is a public university. Right. These people are being literally paid for by tax dollars to that is a... Go ahead. take Sorry. a blind eye. No, I mean, it's just it's just worth mentioning that these, you know, every member of staff that works for CCSU, works for CCSU Athletics, is funded by the state through taxpayer money. And this right. is what they do. 
and therefore I have every fucking right as a journalist or just a member of the public to be able to ask this person a question and then answer it, not get forwarded to a fucking PR person who's going to tell me to fuck myself, you know? Instead, it's what we see is they get to hide behind these people. And it's complete just, impunity. It's disgusting. Complete impunity. They don't even have to answer for it. They don't even have to type out a response to me. They don't have to answer a single one of my questions. Just forward to this lady. Bye. You know, like, it's unbelievable. And and Tom, like you said, just, just reiterating what Jacob said in this email is like gut-wrenching just to read. Mm-hmm. I, like it it literally baffles me that you can go through that and yeah i'm sure they'll probably say in their defense oh i was told not to respond to the email how the fuck can you sleep at night knowing you read that and didn't even say anything to the guy right and pin sense has three daughters also true the athletic department director who he had all, he had every power in the world to do whatever he wanted to pay it, you know, cut him from the team, whatever. And he didn't do shit. And he has three daughters. I don't know how he goes home and looks at his daughter's faces and sleeps at night knowing that he just completely swept someone allegedly abusing <laughs> a poor girl and he did nothing about it like and that goes for yeah every single one every recipient of this email whether they could you know as directly have an action such as pincense or hickey or toro they could have done something yeah absolutely. literally anything right and you know the reason i'm getting so pissed off about this you know obvious for obviously besides the subject matter is disgusting but also it's because you know like i said i didn't get to ask any of these people any questions about their conduct in which we haven't even really gotten to but we will in investigating this and I guess this is just me saying fuck you because I really wanted to ask him if this happened to your daughter and this is how it was handled by the school, would that suffice for you? Would that you would be cool with that? And obviously the answer would be no. But it's it's just fucking shameless. Anyway, we got off track here. Well, Let's get back on track by talking about why, really, they could even report this in the first place. Okay, so there's a few issues with the investigation that we want to talk about, CCSU's investigation into the matter. So to start off, it took 10 months. Now, that is an insane amount of time to me, just to... You literally just have to talk to a few people. You got the pictures. You have witnesses. There were several witnesses, um, not to the assault itself, but to 
Peyton's alleged past behavior. So all you had to do was talk to this person, talk to that person, talk to Peyton. That's it. Wrap it up. Couple weeks, in my opinion. I mean, I wrote this article in uh, less than a month. So I did more. I did more of an investigation, <laughs> and it took me less than a month to do this. So after they opened the case with OSRR, Reese was not very communicative. She only provided up, uh, updates on her progress when Diana reached out after weeks or months of silence. But the updates themselves were very vague. Reese would merely state that her her investigation was ongoing or that she was gathering more information. So not exactly inspiring confidence. Over the course of her investigation, Reese gathered information and statements from Molly, her mother, Diana, and other family members and friends who had been present during the abuse or saw signs of abuse, such as bruises on Molly. She also collected photographs of Molly's injuries, medical records from after the assault, and Molly's appeal letter to the University of Hartford. That was the letter that um, withdrew, that she withdrew herself from the university. And yeah, I also did want to touch on that real quick. Medical records, because she went to a urgent care clinic after and got treated. So this is all documented. It's not really any debating it. The only alleged things that we are, you know, very trying to make sure we say alleged is Stevens doing it. There's no hearsay about her getting injuries, you know? Right. And we'll, we'll get to why we can't uh, definitively say it for legal reasons later. Um, but moving on, another issue with the investigation was that Reese told Diana that she had been able to obtain a copy of the police report from Stephen's arrest. However, I have no idea how she was able to do that. Because while an investigation is ongoing, you can't get the police report. Not even Diana could get it. Or Molly, for that matter. So how the fuck was CCSU able to get it? I don't know. Did they lie that they have had obtained it? I'm not sure. Another another possibility is that Stephen's attorney gave it to Reese because the only people who can get it are like the attorneys representing either side or law enforcement itself. So not exactly clear how they obtained that police report or if they did at all. And I mean, this isn't the first example of Reese saying things or I guess just doing things that make this investigation a little bit more than questionable. Right. So again, the investigation took a long time and it did not appear to be that much of a priority for Reese. So Molly provided a list of people for Reese to talk to, witnesses. And after six months had gone by, she had still not interviewed any of them. 
it just really seems to me that they just did not want to investigate this. No, they wanted these people to just give up. And they expected them to. But during this investigation, which again took 10 months, the athletics department was still promoting Peyton as a member of the baseball team. Because he was. Right. He, yeah, that's also important to note. Ryan, thank you for bringing that up. He was never suspended from the baseball team as far as I know. So while this was all going on, the athletics department was still promoting Peyton and the baseball team, you know, Peyton as a member of the baseball team. Um, The CCSU athletics department Instagram handle posted a photo of Stevens with, uh, you know, some stupid announcement that, you know, the uh, they were rated like number two program heading into the season. Of all the people just don't like. <sighs> right. You could have put anybody else on There's there. There's like 40 people on a baseball roster. Right. And that wasn't even it, too. There was another one where they were like celebrating the seniors who were graduating that year. And he's in that fucking picture. It's just insane. So Molly's mother sees this upset, obviously. Emails. Who's she email? She emailed Reese and copied several of the athletics department executives, including the director, Tom Pinsons. She said, quote, I find this disrespectful and insensitive. Of all the photos of the baseball team, why is Steven's photo used? Has the athletic department forgotten he is under misconduct investigation? By posting this photo, I am led to believe that CCSU, specifically the athletic department, is more concerned with status than justice or acknowledging the seriousness of the issue at hand. Perfectly justified for her to think that way in light of the behavior. Now let's fast forward, you know, the months that it took for this investigation to conclude. So basically Reese just emailed and said that her investigation was complete. Now, Obviously, Diana had some questions as to the way in which the investigation was conducted, like we talked about the police report, how she obtained that. And she had questions about how the proceeding would go, because the way it worked was that it was supposed to be heard by like some sort of some sort of uh, body that would like a court, essentially. But since Molly was still trying to recover from this traumatic event, she didn't want to go and have to see Peyton and kind of advocate for herself. So there was a question of who would be representing her, who would be allowed at the hearing, when and where would it take place? And she never got any answers to those questions because six days later, after she sent that email, Reese merely stated, that the case was closed and no details could be provided. Now, that is completely against all of CCSU's stated um, policy. But getting back to kind of 
I just want to lay the foundation for what we're about to talk about, because, you know, there might be a question by some people, like this happened off campus. Why is CCSU responsible for doing anything? Well, the answer is actually in CCSU's student handbook. And it's clear that the scope of its student conduct policy can apply to off-campus misconduct uh, by students should it meet certain criteria. One such standard is that if a student engages in prohibited conduct that causes the reasonable belief that the accused student poses a threat to the life, health, or safety of any member of the CSCU or the property of CSCU. I mean, you beat the shit out of somebody that clearly shows that you are a violent person who can become dangerous to other people on campus. Allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) Allegedly beat the shit out of somebody. Now, that would be the grounds in which CCSU had the responsibility to act, again, under its own policies. And going even further, the Board of Regents, which is the governing body for the CSCU system, and and CSCU directly claims the responsibility to protect its students by enforcing its code of conduct. Quote, it is the Board of Regents and CSCU's responsibility to to protect our students' right to learn by establishing an environment of civility, the student handbook states. The disciplinary process is intended to be part of the educational mission of CSCU. So just wanted to lay that foundation to make it very clear that they had the right and the responsibility to do something. And also, so did the athletics department. Because the athletics department has its own little code of conduct because they're super special boys who get super special rules because they're super special. And they can throw a ball really fast. Yeah, so here's a little contract to fucking regulate your conduct. So here it is. As part of being a student athlete, the students are required to abide by a student athlete code of conduct, which is no different from the CCSU's student handbook code of conduct. Not really sure why this is necessary. It's pretty redundant, but let's go through it real quick. So the sanctions for breaking the the student athlete code of conduct might include, but are not limited to disciplinary warning, disciplinary probation, which means restricted from competition or practice for a specific time period, suspension, complete separ- which is complete separation from the athletic team for the balance of this uh, yeah for the balance of the season or future seasons, termination of the student athletes athletic grant and aid, so their scholarship. So that's the scope of kind of, you know, their disciplinary standards. Also, according to this policy, um, I'll just read it. Further, it is a policy of the athletics program that the director of athletics has the authority to immediately suspend from athletic participation for a time period to be determined by the director, any student athlete charged with a crime or arrested for any reason. 
he was arrested and he was charged. Nothing was done. He had the authority to do it. Did fucking nothing. It's unbelievable. It pisses me off really fucking bad. Anyway, so getting back to CCSU investigation and actions after, like we said, they just completely slammed the door in Molly and her family's face and give them no information as to a hearing for Peyton or any sort of information on what discipline he will or will not face. Just nothing. Just they can, they said they cannot provide any information, which goes directly against, you know, not even just the CCSU handbook, the CSCU handbook. It's, it's, not handbook, policy, more so. Right. So just to be specific there, so according to CCSU's guidelines, both the victim and the accused student are entitled to be provided with a written notice of the decision of the hearing body within one business day following the conclusion of the hearing. She also had the right to attend the hearing, but was never told, allegedly never told, that a hearing was going to take place, when or where it would be. And then the notice includes the name of the accused student, the violation committed, if any, and any sanction imposed by the accused student. However, when Molly's mother asked for that information, they said they cannot divulge it due to FERPA protection. Now, FERPA is the family education what the fuck does that stand for again hold on it's the family educational rights and privacy act now this act basically just prevents people from getting information about a student that's Basically private. Basically, it was... Hold on. Let me find where the fuck I wrote about this. They're just student privacy laws. It's really not that complicated. But... It's what people, like, that use, say, HIPAA. It's right. really, like, what and they mean. It, it's like, you know... It's like, if your mom wanted to get a copy of your fucking report card or something, they couldn't get it. Because that's your information, and only you can consent to that information being distributed. Now, they claim for protection in releasing the results of the hearing. Now, the problem with that is it's bullshit, and I know this because A... This is a common trend that um, we see from colleges all the time is that in order to prevent releasing embarrassing information, they cite FERPA as the reason why they can't release some documents or what have you. So the other reason I know this and why everybody else has the ability to know this 
is because why would CCSU's own policies state that the victim is entitled to a hearing and also the record of the hearing with the with the decision of the hearing the violation the sanctions what have you why would the policy say that if they're prevented from doing it by federal law it makes no fucking sense it's just so fucking ballsy to lie straight to you know a victim and her mother's face citing these bullshit laws and then saying you didn't break any rules when it's fucking in writing right like it's like how stupid can you be it's in your own guidelines public information it's right on your website it it, and and one example that really pisses me off like about this specifically is uh ccsu's vice president of student affairs um you'll have to remind me of his first name is it john tully oh yeah 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 uh yeah so he in a response and we'll get into you know the mother's response and and you know molly's response going forward but you know basically they had reached out to tully saying what the fuck you know not in their words but and uh tully you know sent an email back and quote after a careful review of the relevant laws and policies we are unable to provide the requested information without the written consent of the student involved in the process did you really fucking review it because if you did then you would have like you would have be able to right it's oh man it's just shameless bullshit and the thing that they count on is the person's inability to seek a legal remedy mm-hmm. because the only way to compel ccsu to release these documents like they should would be to sue them and not everybody has access to a lawyer it's expensive you know like but that would be the only way and it would be a bitch to have to try to litigate that and they have a lot of money yes they have a lot of good defense team so right that's how other people have gotten around this ferpa defense bullshit yeah in 2016 a northern kentucky university student filed a federal lawsuit alleging that the college responded inadequately to her complaint that a basketball player raped her on in her, a campus dorm. And they claimed for protection. Um, the university's lawyers claimed that the federal student privacy statute made essentially everything about the sexual assault on campus a federally protected secret. Now, again, this would be like going to a criminal court, you know, say, say instead of reporting the rape to um, this, this Kentucky thing is what I'm talking about. Say, instead of going into, to the university to complain about this, you took it to the cops, the guy got arrested. And when it was time for the trial, you weren't allowed in the courtroom. And you weren't allowed to know what the verdict was. It's completely nonsensical. As the victim, you have the right to know 
what the fuck happens to the perpetrator of the crime you allege. Anyways, getting out of this fucking FERPA bullshit, because it's just fucking bullshit. And they still haven't, because I keep in touch with uh, Molly's mother, and they still haven't been able to get anything about it. But I did FOIA some emails. I FOIA'd the emails between uh, Reese and the athletics director, Tom Pinsence. And during the time frame that this investigation was happening. And first of all, they talked in email very little. But from what I could gather, it appears that First of all, I, judging from these emails, I don't think there was ever a hearing about this, like an actual hearing with the um, whatever board or whatever the fuck they have to go in front of. Which would check out. Right, which would check out. But from the emails, it seems that all Peyton had to do was complete some sort of... um, module and um if any of you have ever like had a job which i'm sure you have you probably have mandated to take some sort of um sexual harassment training and you know i've had to do these before it's on the computer and you just watch a bunch of videos and take like a multiple choice fucking uh, question test at the end. That is what a module is. And that is what I believe, again, judging from the emails, that was was Peyton's only punishment. They do this sort of similar thing um, with DUI charges, things like that. It's nothing, really. It's just an easy way to get something expunged from your record. Right. It takes like an hour, you know, like these modules. I mean, they do they do them just for like job training in general. You just sit in front Colleges, of colleges. Yeah, it's yeah. I think at CCSU, you're required to complete a course, actually. Yeah, I think you are. Team did not really help. <laughs> yeah, it, it, safe to say it didn't help everybody. Now, what do we want to get into now? Oh, let's get into the criminal stuff. Well, first of all, I just want to I just want to just to tie up the whole CCSU, put a bow around the whole CCSU situation. So Molly's mother went to every single possible length you could go to to try to get answers on what happened at CCSU. She filed a whistleblower complaint with the state auditors of public accounts office. So she contacted, like Ryan said, the Vice President of Student Affairs, John Tully, President Toro herself, and the Board of Regents President, Angelo Simone Jr. Now, like Ryan already pointed out, Tully was like, it's over. Can't tell you. Simone said the same thing. So obviously that was not good enough for her. He did confirm that a hearing took place. Right, he's Apparently. that's what he says. He said, yeah. "Well, he said, quote that the matter was adjudicated," hmm. and 
Yeah, it's always what people want to hear, you know, as vague of a response as possible. Right. And the evidence, again, points to no the fuck it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Now, like I said before, she filed a whistleblower complaint. And then she also contacted or no, she so she filed that whistleblower complaint and then she was in touch with an attorney from the uh, attorney general's office of Connecticut who told her that the attorney general's office would not be pursuing pursuing the case. So when I reached out, basically CCSU spokesperson, Janice Palmer, friend of the pod. If you guys remember, uh, she might have come up last episode, I think. Maybe. Yeah. Friend of the pod, Janice Palmer, said, quote, CCS- CCSU does not comment on nor confirm any matter related to an alleged case of intimate partner violence involving a named student so just about the worst possible fucking response you could get so that concludes basically the ccsu portion of this now getting to the criminal aspect of this because again he was arrested charges were filed but ryan just let's let's just uh let's do an aside how do you think it went with the criminal courts? Oh, I'm sure. I mean, he's probably in jail now, right? No, unfortunately. Oh, <laughs> unfortunately. So instead of being, I don't know, held accountable for any real way, Peyton, all he had to do basically was complete a course called the Family Violence Education Program, which consisted of 90-minute classes held once a week for nine weeks. And he had his charges dropped. Like it never happened. Like it never happened. And Molly, she wrote a letter to the judge saying that she did not think this appro- uh, this uh, program was appropriate for Stevens, and he should at least be required to take the more extensive twenty six session program. The judge the judge signed off on the deal, and that was it. He has a clean record. And- yeah, I mean, if you you look him up, and as depressing as it sounds, there's your story, but there's also a shit ton of stories about his promising baseball career you know yeah which not spoiler gonna... alert <laughs> sucks Bozo. went nowhere loser <laughs> rest in piss <laughs> right um so yeah he he wasn't held accountable criminally either and i guess we shouldn't be surprised but it's nonetheless disappointing and you know, man, I don't know what else is there to really say. It's just an awful situation. Oh, I know what what we could talk about. President Toro. Oh, I was hoping you would get there. We're there. Because last, like we said, last week we teased this. Again, this is less than two years after the theater department. And what did Toro say? She was like, this didn't happen under me, but it's my responsibility to clean this mess up, right? 
Could you imagine someone letting this happen? She basically said. Right. Which, fair enough. Fair enough. You weren't there. It isn't your responsibility. However, you assured everyone that you will tolerate no violence or abusive behavior. Her exact words. And then this happens less than two years later. Just complete bullshit. And it, just in case you guys are wondering, she she's the president still. Of still the president. Still Actually, the president. it's funny. She sent out, um, which you can't include in the pod, but she sent out a, a very nice recorded video for Thanksgiving. Um, very akin to like uh, Queen Elizabeth, uh, God rest her soul, like doing the quiz, Christmas um, thing. So yeah, just still this bright, cheery little face of CCSU. Right. And um, in addition to her being a ghoul for just completely neglecting um, addressing these matters in any serious way, as we'll see in the next episode, she partakes in this behavior herself, allegedly. So not only is she not doing shit about it, but she's actively contributing to a toxic environment at CCSU. But again, we're getting ahead of ourselves. That'll be a next week's episode. Anything else we want to say here? Um, There might have been oh, one more thing. There is one more thing. How could I forget this? <sighs> this is this is this is rough. So according to the whistleblower complaint that Molly's mother filed. Months after this CCSU investigation had closed, Molly was separately approached by two other women who claimed to have been abused by Peyton. Additionally, the compl- according to the complaint, both women said they knew of two other women who had been allegedly assaulted by Stevens and tried to file reports with CCSU, but were apparently told that the statute of limitations to report the assaults had passed and closed the cases. I was unable to independently confirm those allegations, but they don't seem very hard to believe. So that's allegedly five separate women. Five, yes. And And it's almost like that's exactly what Molly had been saying, why he shouldn't be given such a light sentence. Right. And I mean... It, it's not surprising when you account for the fact, again, that CCSU did jack fucking shit to him. The criminal system did jack fucking shit to him. So what is what is the what lesson is he supposed to take away from it that he's supposed to stop? Right. What is the th- what is the thing holding him back? What is the when he does the cost benefit analysis in his brain to which to the extent that he has a fucking brain? What cost-benefit analysis does he do where he's like, well, if I do this, this might happen. Nothing fucking happened. So he's free to abuse and harm whatever woman he wants. And he knows nothing's going to happen. Because again, this shit was scrubbed from his record even. Because like I was going to say earlier, when I went to go get this uh, police report, it's not, it's not, it doesn't exist. Because as part of the the plea deal he took, it was scrubbed from his record. 
So it's like, like you said, Ryan, it's like it never happened. And Stevens continued to go to Central. I mean, well past that. He graduated. He graduated. Yeah. Was able to walk, shake hands, get his little fucking diploma. I wonder almost if if Toro even had a second of a thought, you know, as he walked across the stage, maybe she heard Peyton Stevens. You know, do you think these people ever think again about the terrible things they do? Or is it just completely they don't give a shit? You know, I'll take it a step further. I doubt when his name was said that a bell even rang in her brain. She doesn't even remember who who did what. She was just like, oh, another student. Here's your diploma. Go get him, kid. I think we need to come up with a way to make these not end so fucking horrifically. Well, if we had a happy ending in any of these, it'd be nice, but yeah, one that's day, kind of why we're here. One day, maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is, this is, this is, uh, you're making every, every week we make the case of why we're doing this show. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully somewhere down the line, we can provide updates on some of these and, and maybe there will be some sort of resolve, but given the track record of universities, colleges, everything, I'm not incredibly hopeful. Yeah, it's very easy to get um, kind of hopeless and depressed about the things we talk about. But the fight continues. You don't ever give up. You don't ever stop fighting because that's when they win. Right. So we'll continue to report these things. Like we said, next week. Next week is a bit of a special episode. It's a little bit of a roundup. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got Toro in the crosshairs, so stay tuned. She's, for that she's one. been this elusive white whale character last episode. It wasn't right. her fault, of course. Right, she hasn't been an active participant, but more of just a character who uh, just lets shit go by unchallenged. Which is a great definite. Like that is her, right? But. I don't know. Maybe her hands get a little more dirty next week. I don't know. Hmm. We gotta, we gotta, gotta stay tuned to hear that one. That concludes this episode of the Scarlet Project. If you'd like to get in touch with us, our DMs are open on our socials. We are at the Scarlet Pod on Twitter and on TikTok, or you can reach us via email at thescarletpod at gmail.com. All right, everyone, stay safe and look out for each other.